Um, today, it's a little bit different. I texted uh, Ryan Barang halfway through the week and said, hey, you want to tag team the message today? I know he's talked about confession before, and today we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18, where we're talking about prayer and specifically confession. And so confession to God, confession to others is the theme today. So you can turn to James 5. Uh, I'm going to invite Ryan up to preach for us. But, but um, I, what I want to do is for this week and next week to be sort of a one-two punch. This week, we can confess to God. We can open to God. We're going to sort of create a, a pathway forward for us to do that. And then next week, let's talk more about what it means to pray. So before we get into prayer, uh, expectant prayer, like James says, without wavering, no double-minded, then we need to actually address some of the confession that takes place in prayer, before prayer, and even confession that takes place as a community of faith, as a church. So that's today, confession. Next week, we're going to build on that with prayer. All right, Ryan, would you come up? Ryan's going to preach for us today. He's going to give us about 30 minutes, and then I'm going to go about 10 minutes. Don't laugh. I'm going to do this, though. We're going to tag team the message. Ryan's going to start us out, and then Steve, would you come up? Steve Swartz is actually going to do some artwork while Ryan teaches, while we teach today, and it's reflective of the theme of confession. So as he does artwork, Ryan's going to teach. Ryan apparently has his own artwork he's going to do, um, which I like this whiteboard. Can I use it, too, sometimes? Yes. Okay, great. So anyway, as we do this, um, uh, let's welcome Ryan. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everybody. As, as Pastor Chris said, uh, my name is Ryan. I've been part of the family here at Anchor for uh, since 2016. My beautiful wife, Jeanette, here, and our, our four children. Um, we're, we're, we're happy to be here. It's an honor to be here talking today about confession. So if you would open your Bibles to James chapter 5, I have to begin with a confession that I really don't like this passage. But I really like it, too. So let me tell you why I hate it and why I, I love it. It starts off... By saying, James 5, 13, and we'll flash it here on the board as well. And as you're turning there, I'm going to illustrate a lot of, I'm going to throw everything on this board here that I know today. I'm in, in a seminary, I majored in systematic theology. So you're going to see a little bit of how my mind works. I like to see what the, all of scripture says about confession, and I like to see it work systematically. So I'm just going to dump it here. Um, if you want to see all my notes later on, then I'm just going to breeze through scripture, sort of like drinking out of a fire hose today. So this is what I call um, pseudo art, and this is real art, okay? So I didn't want to leave you only with this, so we brought Steve up here as our, as our illustrator. Okay, so James chapter 5, 13. Is anyone among you, is anyone uh, among you suffering? Let him pray. That's pretty good. We actually have people standing by after the service, the prayer team, wanting to pray with you. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I love doing that. That's what we do here. We're going to do it again after. When you want to come in here and you're, and you're feeling cheerful, then we don't stop anybody from, from praising God. We encourage you. Dump, jump right into it. Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. We got those too. Uh, Greg, Heath, and there's, a, there's a, a bunch of them here. We'll give you all their phone numbers so you can call them. But if anyone is sick, let them call the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That reminds me of Psalm 23, you know, uh, David the shepherd writing about how the Lord anoints his head with oil and his cup overflows. This is here, I think this is for medicinal purposes in the ancient world, but also Holy, the Holy Spirit's also symbolic with, with oil. There's so much going on here, but look at verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Now here's the part that I don't like. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. I like that second part about healing. Right? Who likes healing? We all do. We all want to be healthy. But that part about confession to others, I've never really liked that. In fact, the worst day of my life was with this day of, of confession. It's the day, it was, it was years ago, where I sat down with my wife, and the Lord told me very specifically, you are to come into the light and to be fully known by your wife on this night. And there was like four things that I was hiding. Actually, it started off with two, and then I went for a walk at midnight, and I said, Jeanette, I have to go for a walk. And I looked up to heaven, and I said, Lord, just give me everything I need to say, because I only want to do this once. I only want to cry once. And out of nowhere... Thank you, Lord. He brought two other things away from the past that I thought were buried. And I literally put my fingers into my ears and I went, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I just wanted something that had to do with this. And if you want to know that story, we can grab a cup of coffee. I'll tell you the whole thing. Worst day of my life, but the best day of my life, because that's the day I experienced freedom. It was the first time in my life, uh, seven years into marriage and, and, and many years into being a Christian, where, I, where Jesus was finally my savior. Like, not, not kind of my Savior. I said, I'm going to need you to come through because you said you're sovereign and you said you're, you're all in power, but as soon as this comes out of my mouth, it's going to be, it's, I'm going to feel like everything's out of control. And, and worldly wisdom would say, no, no, you don't, don't go there. Don't say that kind of stuff to your spouse. And God was saying the opposite. No, 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 I'm in control. You just jump into it. And so worst day of my life, best day of my life. Confession. Confession to God is easy. Like there's, the scripture is replete with conf confession. Uh, another passage that comes to my mind is 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, John's talking to, to believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A little background about this verse. The, the, the original word here that John's using in the Greek is homo legeo. Homo is same. Legeo is to speak or say. So literally, this word is same, say. Homo legeo, to confess, is it's a legal term. It means to admit or cite. If, if you go before a judge, he's not going to say, how do you feel about what you did? He's going to say, how do you plead? And it's either guilty or not guilty. When we come to confession before God, it's I'm guilty. I did this. It's to own it. Another word for confession, uh, besides homo legeo, is the word that James uses in James chapter 5, 16. But it's the same word, but, but uh, compounded with uh, preposition. It's, it's the same homo legeo root. But it's to go even deeper into it. It's to fully own it. But in James, it's harder because it's in the midst of community. Did you notice that about chapter 5 here? This is all communal. Is anyone suffering? Let them pray. This is together now. Is anyone of you cheerful? then sing. That's together now. This is community. Uh, is anyone sick? Let, the, let him call the elders. That's plural elders. One location. Get together. And it's talking about going over him. So he's obviously laying down and then the Lord will raise him up because he was laying down. So this is all communal and this confession one to another is clearly in community groups. Uh, our, our mission here at Anchor is to uh, create communities that find hope in Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we do that by, one, we practice confession and repentance in the midst of gospel-centered community. And there's no such thing as the gospel. There's no such thing as good news without some bad news. There's no such thing as some bad news without somebody going first and saying, well, here's some of the bad news in my life, and then 
And then God teaching us in that moment, here is what we really, here's the truth. Because the enemy only has past lies that he whispers to us. He doesn't know the future. He only knows the past. But when we come into confession, we're, we're confessing things we've done. We're owning it. We're homologeoing it. We're, we're citing it. We're naming it. And then 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. If you grew up in church culture, you probably heard um, that, that we ask God for forgiveness. But I want to go and let's, let's look at what specifically the word says. It says, if we confess, I put my finger on the word confess. And the result of that is forgiveness from all. So here's how a confession looks in my life. Lord, I'll just give a perfect example yesterday. So my daughters, cute, cutest kids in the world, playing in the yard yesterday, and they brought in the shovel that was full of dirt into the house, and they put it on the, and I, 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 I sinned. I said, what are you doing? And I, and I shamed them. I'm sorry, baby girl. I was wrong. Daddy was wrong. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. See how that works? I sinned. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Don't waste any time going, Lord, will you please forgive me? I do what the word says. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. So I go right into thanksgiving. Confession, thanksgiving, repentance. In the midst of community. Okay, so that's another, that's another verse on, on, on confession. Uh, there's, another, there's another passage. If you go to Psalm 32, 3 through 5, this is King David. What happens when we don't confess? Well, well I'm just going to summarize this. In Psalm 32, remember David got into some heavy sin, and then he hit it. And then he said he felt it in his bones. Like he was getting sick. Like he, life was, was leaving his body. And then it wasn't until he confessed his sin that he started feeling life come back into his body. Uh, let's go to another verse, Proverbs 28, 13. Proverbs 20, 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Okay, all these different verses about confession. We're going to focus today, as Pastor Chris said, on, on, on confession. And the best way I know how to illustrate confession is this thing that I call the tree illustration. So I'm going to make an attempt to draw this thing. Well, I already put the tape there. But uh, right now, let's do a little exercise here. Now, here's a tree. Okay, so there's two realms on this tree. There is the, the realm underneath the ground. And we're going to call this, uh, it's, it's hidden and it's in the dark. So this, we're going to call this the unseen spiritual world. And everything above ground is going to be the, the visible uh, physical world. You see that? You see the two, the contrast here? So these are things we can see. These are the things we can't see. Uh, the Bible talks about the heart. In, in, in the New Testament, it's the cardia. You know what a cardiologist is? Well, it's, it's, it's a doctor of the heart. But the root word cardia, it, it occurs over 154 times in the New Testament. It never refers to the blood pumping organ. It always refers, it, it's the heart is, contains three components. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And those things talk to each other, and they tell the brain what to do, and then the brain tells the hands what to do, and you see it, it always happens in that order. So essentially, when we sin or when we do things, it's an issue of the heart. The heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. So down here, we have the heart. Here, I would call this the head, like the brain. There's actually like four chemicals in the brain, the oxytocin, the endorphins, the, the uh, serotonin, and the, um, I'm missing one, but we have doctors and medical people. What's Yes, there's, there's more. Okay, and then up here is the hands. When we actually start doing things with our hands or saying things with our mouth. Now, exercise. Let's just take a, a, a minute or two. 
what might people be struggling with that has manifested itself into bad, bitter fruit? Just go ahead. Start throwing them out there. Anger. Someone said anger. Yes, that's a good one. And when we say anger, we're really talking about like out of control anger. So we'll put here rage. Okay. How about fights and quarrels? Anybody get in a fight this morning on the way to church? Nope. Never. This is James chapter four. Where do fights and quarrels come from? Where do they come from? Desires that rage war within. That's where the fights come from. So if we search our heart and then we confess what's in our heart, then this stuff doesn't happen. What else? What, what else could we be struggling with? Let's make this easier. What might your spouse be struggling with? What is it? Lust. Lust. Okay, good. Lust. Like eyes out of control. Like I can't stop looking at this or I can't stop doing that. Yes. Uh, power lust, money lust, all kinds of lust. What else? Sadness. Sadness. Yes. Sadness. Depression. You have, and then, and then I, have, I have here what's called low-hanging fruit. You know, what society's dealing with. It's probably something like suicide-related behavior, driving under the influence, alcohol-related incidents, uh, sexual abuse, uh, domestic violence, drug abuse, so on and so forth. But I call those low-hanging fruit because there's deeper issues. Now, so this tree, so we have the, the, the physical, visible world, and we have the spiritual world, and along our lives, we can have these wounds. And I, I think there's about five wounds here. We have fear, anger, anger wounds. We have deceit wounds. We have sadness wounds. And we have shame wounds. These things happen early on. I mean, th- things can happen in our childhood that mark us for life. There's a, there's, the, the body actually keeps the score. So when, when, when uh, abuse happens early on, it can actually affect the chemicals in our brain and, and affect how we react to, to life. And, um, but these things have to be dealt with. Now, we have here, let's just go straight to the roots here. I believe that there are seven core roots, seven source roots here. And there's several books on, on these type of roots. This is actually what I'm talking about when I talk about these roots is idolatry. I read a book by Elise Fitzpatrick on idolatry. It's a, it's a classic work on idolatry. There's several people that have written and articulated this very well. Tim Keller wrote a book, Pastor Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. Uh, but there, there, are, there are several books. I think there's seven. So there's seven roots here. This first root, I'm going to call this deception. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about, some of your translations calls this root the, the root of bitterness. But if you look technically at the word, it's not a root of bitterness. It's a, it's, a, it's a root that leads to bitter fruit. And that passage is rooted in Deuteronomy 29, 18, which it talks about this, this, when we believe lies about God, it manifests into bitter fruit. Okay, so that's the first root. Uh, there's another root here called rebellion. And the world could be perfect. Your, your day could be going so awesome and our hearts are twisted, we could choose to rebel against God. Ever read Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7? Everything was perfect. What went wrong there? Well, enemy started whispering lies into Eve's ear, and she bit this fruit, whatever it was, and she literally went like this. Because apparently Adam was standing right there because she turned to him and gave it to him. And at that moment, the human race was fractured 
What we talk about here is shalom. Shalom was perfect peace. It was fractured the moment that mankind rebelled, that the first Adam rebelled, and everything was changed. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our others, with others, and our relationship with creation was fractured. So God is in the business of restoring all things that were broken because of this rebellious heart. The gospel teaches us that the first Adam messed everything up, and the second Adam, Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, fixes all these things. There's another root here called the love of money. That's in First uh, Timothy 6.10. That the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yes, or sin, yeah. Okay, so when someone loves money, it's going to manifest itself in different ways. If someone loves money, then they're going to step on people and be a... Anybody ever run into one of those? Yeah. If you run into a mean person, what about someone at work? They don't only look out for number one, and they're going to step on people to get what they want to get, to get where they want to get. Uh, this happens everywhere. Someone, someone's ambitious and they're per, perfectionism and driven and then they're going to get wherever they want to go while sacrificing their family and their friends because it's, what's driving it is this root of the love of money. Now these next four roots, if you've read Tim Keller's book, it's, it's uh, the root of control. Second root here is the, the, the root of comfort. We have here the root of approval. And the root of uh, control, uh, power, yes. The root of power says, I, wanna, I need to be right. And it's people that always have to get in the last word or the people that chase things so they can get a position in the organization so they can be recognized. It's the people who, uh, who like to be, uh, well, just for me, confession, I like to have a mic. That's, that, that's an idol. That's an idol of mine. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest here. Like, but I don't need, I don't need to. But I often feel like that. I want to feel special, but it's sinful, so I confess that. There's things I don't need, but I'm chasing after them. Like, idolatry is, can be defined as making something that's good an ultimate thing, or making something matter more that doesn't matter most. So here, when, when we worship these things, when these things are things that we desire, James talks about the desires that wage war within, they have become idols. The litmus test for me on if I, my heart's going to idolatry is if I say the word, I need. And if I said the word, I need, and it, that sentence doesn't end in G-O-D or J-E-S-U-S, then it's idolatry. Want me to give you an example? If I was eating dinner with my family and I told my kids, I need you to eat your vegetables, I'm now engaging in idolatry. Because God stands by and he goes, well, what about me? You don't need me. And so I've learned to, God's been showing me, you don't need that, you don't need that. God showed me a list of, uh, of things I need for my wife. And it was about this long and it was blank. I don't need anything for my wife. I don't need anything from anybody. Because the Lord supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. So there's, a, there's another idol here, approval. Anybody struggle with this one? Anybody want approval? Like want to do something to get, what's that, what's that uh, fight club quote? We, we spend money that we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Well, that's, that's the idol of approval. What? And if God approves me, then I don't need anybody else's approval. Like being a Christian, like, like, like worshiping God in, in public. I used to care so much about what other people think. And, and, and it was a long time ago, 
a long time ago, I went to a, uh, my, my work gave me and my brother tickets to see uh, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. It was a long time ago. I wouldn't go, any, I wouldn't go anymore. But I remember we were just singing our head, we were raising our hands, we were like hugging strangers. And uh, years ago, God said, why don't you do that with me, huh? Like you do that at these secular places, why don't you worship me like that? And, it's, and it just rocked my world, and I, I never, I've never been able to get over that. So I said, Lord, I'm going to worship you as if I was at a, a secular show. <laughs> okay, so, so the idol, there's more idols here. The idol of comfort. I mean, God, God doesn't call us to a life of comfort. He calls us to step out of the boat. He calls people, he, this is what God whispers to me, someone's got to go first. If you're in community groups, someone's got to go first. And we live in a me too world. Like if you start, if, if our community groups are marked by wise, transparent, vulnerable confession, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start saying, oh, me too. <laughs> me too. I was just hanging out with some friends. We, we hung out all week and uh, everything was cool, right? And then, and then later on, I get an email. Here, here's what I was going through. I was thinking this. I, I, got, I got cussed out. And then all this whole list, and I'm like, all that was going on? Man, if you would have shared that, I would have shared some similar things. But someone's got to go first in community group. Why? Because God's in control anyways, and he hasn't called us to worship comfort, and he hasn't called us to, to win the approval of people. We've, we've been approved. He hasn't called us to, to worship power, Philippians 2 actually says, consider other people better than yourself. There's so, there's so many things going on here. So, I mean, is, is, this, is this making sense? Now watch this. It gets, it gets even more complicated because we live in a world that's complex. Not only do we have to deal with idolatry in the heart, and not only is every issue that we go through an issue of the heart. Let me write down here. This is all idolatry. But it gets compounded because this root right here of deception manifests itself in what I call enemies of the heart. And I would say that this is four, I'm just going to call them bricks, but they're, they're enemies of the heart here. And we have here greed, anger, guilt, I-L-T, sorry, I can't spell, and jealousy. So these, 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 uh, these enemies of the heart, they're bricks that need to be broken up, and they prevent us from being known. Like, like this wall here prevents us from doing some heart um, renovation. It prevents us from going deep down in here. If I'm emotionally insulated and isolated with these bricks, then I'm never going to let anybody in. You know the difference between emotional insulation and isolation is? Insulation is I'm going to let you in, but not all the way in. Isolation is, Steve, you're not even getting near me. I'm not going to go to your group. I'm, you're not going to know me. They're both insidious, and they're both based off of deception. So these things are all summed up in what I call debt-debtor language. You, you get what that is? Debt-debtor language. So greed, the, the, the language of greed says, the world owes me. I need to get more things, more toys. The world owes me. He who dies with the most toys wins. You know, all the silly, foolish, worldly phrases. Anger is you owe me. You crossed me, you owe me. You didn't text me back, you owe me. You didn't pat me on the back, you That's This is anger. Uh, guilt says, I owe me. I did something wrong. Oh, I can't believe I did that again. Guilt is, I did something wrong. And then another layer of this is shame. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame is, I, I'm, I'm a bad person. 
And shame says, get away from me. Grace says, draw near. James, James 4 again, draw near to God. But these things are lies. Guilt will turn into shame. Shame will turn into isolation, and we won't want to draw near to God. So these things have to be busted up. Jealousy is same debtor language, right? But it's God, you owe me. Uh, my, my, exam, my favorite example for this is, God, why did you make me five foot one? You owe me a little bit more. Why couldn't I be as tall as Steve? Or why couldn't I have been given good art skills like Steve? Or why couldn't I have a brain like this? Or why wasn't I born into this tax bracket? Or, the list goes on and on and on. How do we break up these bricks? Well, we break up these things. Like the antidote to greed is generosity. Like there's something, if, if you, my son, my son right here, nine years old writer, he, he, the, the, the school was given these little boxes to, to um, raise money for kids with cancer. And can I share, can I share, buddy? He goes, Daddy, I, want, I just want to, you know, Grandpa gave me $100, I want to put it in that little box. And he put it in that box and his, his class won a pizza party. Or is it pizza party or Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Olive Garden, yes. Uh, but if you sow to that, sometimes, sometimes your heart follows. Like, that's what we do here. Like, giving of our finances is part of worship here and everywhere in the church. That's why we do it. And then in the church is giving the money away to, to missions and, and making this place run. But this is the antidote to greed is, is generosity. The antidote to anger is what? If you're angry at somebody, forgiveness is the antidote. So you don't owe me anything. In fact, when I forgive someone, um, I, we, I've had this uh, forgiveness workshop for years now. We lead people through steps to forgiveness. You make a list, like, like step four in AA, like make an inventory list of resentment, and then you go through the list and forgive everybody. Lord, I forgive Johnny for what he did because it made me feel, and I'm going down to a, a deep heart emotion right here. And Lord, I pray that you bless him. I pray that you bless him. So forgiveness is this. Bless him, change me. The world says, change him, bless me. But the, the scriptures are completely opposite. So that's the antidote to that. The antidote to guilt you did something wrong, you did something bad, you looked at something again, you stepped in the same pile of poop again. It's confession. The antidote to guilt, you're feeling guilty, confess it. Confess it to God, he can handle it, and then confess it to, to, to your trusted brothers and sisters. The antidote to jealousy, thanksgiving. Thank God for who you are and who he is in you. You see how that works? But it gets even worse because we have here, sometimes weeds start to grow and sometimes there's, there's stuff feeding these roots, right? And, and there's some core things that are feeding them. Maybe, maybe it's, let me draw this F here. See that? Maybe that's social media. Again, not evil in and of itself, but can, be, can become evil. I had a confession last week. I emailed uh, Kyle over there. I said, I said bro, YouTube got me again. I spent hours on YouTube catching up on NCAA wrestling, and it was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And he goes, me too. And I said, I tell you what, let's, let's fast. Let's fast from all social media from here until Sunday. And I'm like, bam. So I can't wait to watch some YouTube today, but uh, it's been 72 hours. <laughs> but, but it's a me too world. And there might be things that are, that are a little like that, insignificant, but they need to be confessed. And there's some things that are big that need to be confessed. Let me, let me just go to one that's always awkward, okay? 
I've gone to, I've gone to professional seminars and heard professional counselors who, the, the majority of them, I don't know why, this is really weird to me, but they said, if you've done that, don't confess that to your wife. You know what I'm talking about. I would say for adultery, for unfaithfulness, that always needs to be confessed. I mean, not just blindly, I'm just going to jump into this. Of course, it's, it's done in community, right? Like, I'm going to, hey, brothers, what, what, I've done this. What should I do? And my brothers in Christ are so grounded in the word, and they're such warriors, they're going to help me get there. I'm not going to keep that. You know what happens to roots when they stay underground? They grow and they grow and they get stronger and they get stronger to the point where if the roots grow so strong, they can bust the foundation of a house to the point where the house is inoperable. I mean, there, uh, root, roots from a tree can bust up your house so you no longer have water and you no longer have a safe house. That's the, that's the danger. We can't afford any, any roots at all. One time I ran a... a I did a California roll. I'm from California, so you know what California roll is? Like you almost stop at a stop sign and you go. And I was so paranoid. I was like, wait a minute. Does that open me up? Is that a sin? I and so I just, it just started going through all of my life. Okay? So here, we got social media. You can have music here as a distraction. Watch this. There's a steeple there. Church can be an idol. The Bible can be an idol. I've, I've, this is crazy, right? I've, I've yelled at kids. I'm like, hey, quiet. I'm doing my devotion here. I'm spending time with Jesus. <laughs> I've been listening to a sermon one time. And my kids were too loud. And I yelled at them. Well, I'm listening to a sermon about grace. It's crazy. It's crazy. Going to church. I'm like, get your butts in church. And come here and raise our hands. But that's Okay. Um, because God has called us to live in community, a life marked by confession and repentance in the middle of community. I'm going to wrap wrap this up. There's there's so much more here. Um, Turn to Ephesians 6.12. Do we have that slide here? I I want us to realize that nothing up here in the physical, visible world, nothing up here can actually put us in bondage. It's the physical world. Bondage occurs here in the heart. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. You know what that means? Your struggle is not with your children. Your struggle is not with your spouse. Your struggle is not with your boss who happens to be really mean. Your struggle is not with your neighbor who says mean things to you. Your struggle is not with people. It's not the bullies at school. Why do hurt people hurt people? Because they're hurt. There's bullies at school. There's bullies at work. There's 10-year-old bullies. There's 50-year-old bullies. I know one, and I forgive them all the time. Okay? So, uh, there's, that's spiritual warfare, right? And uh, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, because we live in a spiritual warfare, uh, we have to use spiritual weapons. One of, our, one of our spiritual weapons is confession. There's so much power in confession. I used to define freedom as I no longer struggle with these things. I no longer have these things in my life. I no longer have to deal with this. But then I read the Bible. 
In 2 Corinthians 3.17, this is the definition of freedom right here. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if I see these things in my life, I don't go, man, I'm messing up again. Man, I can't take up. I, it's, Lord, thank you that even in the midst of all this, the Lord is here. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm always free, even when these things are going on. And the gospel is good news because there's so much bad news. You see, you can't have cold without hot. You can't have uh, hot without cold. You can't have the gospel without some bad news. So we're fleshing out the gospel every week in these little community groups. They're like mini little house churches, right? And we meet, I think this is Sunday is like the big party where all the little churches in Hampton Roads get together. But our life, imagine with me, Anchor Church, what our community groups, what our, what our lives would look like if, if our groups were characterized by confession and repentance in the midst of gospel community. They would be powerful. And the enemy would say, I got nothing on these people because they keep bringing their stuff into the light. So I have nothing to, I have nothing to whisper into their ears. I, I don't like Anchor Church. I'm going to go hang out somewhere else where people believe my lies. As we, as we transition and we close our service, I'm going to call Pastor uh, Chris up here to, uh, to add, add more to this and about our theme and the series that we're going through. And um, I, I just hope and I pray that we trust that God's word is true and we can jump into this, this lifestyle. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Um, I'm going to add to that just a few minutes um, just by saying I appreciate the diagram. Of course, I, I like whiteboards. I like drawing pictures, and I, I appreciate that, uh, the, just the, the various parts here. We'll leave this up. We'll take it down um, as the service closes, but we'll put it up over here in this room in the Miller. So if you're out in the overflow and you'd like to come in, maybe get a picture of this or uh, you know, maybe for future reference or just to um, kind of look over it again on your own, you're welcome to come in here after the service. We'll leave it up for a, a while. Um, but I, I did want to say that I, I think uh, th all of this is, is great, and it really does characterize uh, so much of, of what is true about the way we're teaching the gospel. The good news of Jesus isn't, isn't necessarily something other than the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have forgiveness for our sins and so that we could walk in freedom. It's just that if we haven't articulated or thought through how the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, also frees us from all sorts of various sins in our lives, uh, then maybe we haven't gone far enough to see that the good news of Jesus for a person who might be struggling, say, with anger or rage isn't just to sit across the table and say, Jesus died to pay for this sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Do you believe that? Yes. Great. You're forgiven. And you'll no longer uh, deal with this issue of anger. It doesn't quite work that way. Uh, it, it does work so that when we embrace the good news of Jesus, because he died in our place for our sins, to, to, to remove that guilt and to remove that shame for our sin, to remove ultimately re remove condemnation and death because of our sin, what that frees us up to do then is to explore the depths of the good news of Jesus, all of its implications in freeing us up from the rest of this junk. 
In other words, I embrace the good news of Jesus Christ who died for me to take my place to remove all condemnation from me so that if in, at any moment I'm suffering from one of these as a result of one of these, ultimately as a result of one of these idolatries, I don't have to hide in shame for that. I can actually bring it into the open before God and before trusted friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. I have the freedom to do that because Christ on the cross took all of my sins away from me. I'm no longer under condemnation for those. So if I'm no longer fearing condemnation, I can bring those into the light. We can deal with them neutrally as brothers and sisters in Christ. No threat of condemnation or shame from you. No threat of condemnation or shame from, from me towards you either. This is the beauty of brothers sitting across from brothers at coffee shops or living rooms across the uh, ladies sitting across the living room or coffee shop from another lady and just exposing some of the things that we're going through, some of, the, some of those lingering doubts or fears or issues of shame. We want to be a place. I want to be the kind of pastor and friend, and I think most of us want to be the kind of friends to each other that we could sit across the table from someone, listen to some of that, and not have any sense of condemnation or any sense of, uh, of maybe that being sort of a gross sin or something like that, being able to listen and receive so that not only they can find healing, but we can find healing in the process of confession. There's, there's some beauty here. And I think uh, the good news of Jesus sort of regulates uh, our, our fear factor and even our shame factor. You know, in James, in James chapter 5, where he says, if any of you are sick, that word is really just weakness or some kind of weak. So he says, uh, if, if, you're, if, you, if you are sick, you need prayer, then pray. If, you, um, if you're happy, then sing praises. And if anyone else among you is sick, that word sick there, is anyone... Um, among you sick, or two, almost like up above where it says, anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Well, here it says, is anyone sick, let him call for the elders of the church to come and pray. Almost like sick in that second round, or that second phrase, is like too weak to pray for yourself. Loneliness, sadness, depression, anxiety, or physical ailment of some kind, I think it can all be summed up in that are any of you sick and, and can't for yourself call the elders, call those in the church to come and pray with you. What happens in our sickness, let's just use a physical ailment, is it's not just the sickness that needs to be held, uh, healed, but often, and in so many cases, it's what the sickness means about us, what it confirms about me that I already believed, which was, Good things don't happen to me. I don't deserve love. I'm unworthy to be loved. I don't deserve to have friends. I don't deserve to be a Christian. I, I don't deserve to be loved by God. How could I possibly be loved? The abandonment I feel is right. And what happens is really it's not just the sort of financial trouble, relational trouble, or the physical sickness or whatever. All of those things can sometimes lead us to believe that the thoughts we think about ourselves, sometimes rooted in, say, fear or deceit or shame that we've experienced in our lives, it just confirms all of those things. And it's not just that I need physical healing, but I need healing from those lies that the enemy has placed in my own heart. Lies that could be as deep-seated uh, and, and go as far back as even my own childhood or our own childhood. The good news of Jesus has a way of unpacking that, allowing us to bring it into the light. 
And when we do that, we find healing. That's what happens to us. When we find that we can confess, we, we find healing. And that's because all of our, our sin or our shame or our suffering and all of the, the negative things that it confirms about me that I already believed about me, which is basically that I'm not enough, not good enough, not worthy enough. All of those things are swirling around in our hearts and our heads. And the good news of Jesus, or I should say what happens um, before we believe that good news of Jesus is that all of those things swirling around in our minds lead us to what he calls either emotional insulation or isolation. And a friend of mine says uh, that it's, it's not so much that isolation is the worst thing we do, but it's the way we do the worst things. And so in our sin, because of our sickness, because of our suffering, we have a tendency to sort of withdraw. We have a tendency to push away. We have a tendency to hide. And this is happening in the Garden of Eden. As Adam and Eve sin, the first thing they do is run and hide. That's what we do. I want to read James chapter 4 because I want you to see that in, the, in James he gives us the antidote. It comes before the confession part in chapter 5, but let's go back to chapter 4, and I want you to see this quickly. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be torn to, turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If you read that section of, of Scripture, doesn't it feel, to, I, I don't know why, to me it feels a bit heavy almost oppressive, like weep, stop laughing and start crying, start mourning, bring your sin and deal with it, stop being so double-minded, you know, as I read that, it always has been overwhelming for me, but what I realize is that what he's saying is you have the freedom to do this because of the good news of Jesus. If in our isolation we are distancing ourselves from one another and from God, the fear in confession is often that I will be rejected, misunderstood, uh, I, I, they, I will not be received. I will not be welcomed. This is always a sort of a constant fear of ours. This is true with our relationship with God and with others. But look at the antidote. Let's go back to verse, we, we were on verses uh, 7 and 8. But look at verse 8. It says, draw near to God. What happens if I confess? What happens if I draw near to God? He will draw near to you. When we in confession, take a step of faith to say, God, I'm coming to you and I'm bringing all of this with my mourning and my sadness. I'm not going to hide it anymore. This is really how I feel about who I am and about what I've done. And, and we bring it to the Lord. The promise here is not that when we come to God, he will judge those things. But that when we come to God, he will come near to us. That's good news. It's just going to take a step of faith to actually do it. And that's, I think, where faith comes in. Do I really believe, am I willing to believe that the scriptures are true when it says that if I come near to God, bring this to him, that he will come near to me and we can work on this together. I can give thanks to him because of Jesus that those sins are no longer held against me. And I have the freedom now to go to my brothers and sisters and confess those very same things, trusting that as we're all becoming more like Jesus, we will receive one another in love. So that's my hope for us. Thank you uh, for sharing all of this with us, Ryan. Thank you for your artwork, Steve. I really appreciate it. 
you guys um, out in the um, overflow, if you'll come in, you can see the artwork and the artwork of Ryan as well. And I want you to take some time just to really think through what we're doing. The band's going to come up. Ryan, would you mind helping me to, to move this off of the stage? And as the band comes up, you guys come on up, and we're going to worship together um, for another few minutes. Uh, we won't do communion. We've packed out this, uh, uh, this room here. So we're just going to spend some time. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. There are some folks who can pray with us, and I want you to come and pray with us. Our prayer team will be available for you to pray with. And I want you to think through this confession. As we sing to God, oftentimes when we're singing these songs, they are songs of praise to God. They are songs of confession to God. And so when we sing together, I want us to be contemplating just how the good news of Jesus frees us to be able to bring into the light and to be able to find that healing uh, that we need. When I hear a message on confession like this, I'm wrapping it up as the band comes. When I hear a message on confession like this, it's not just sort of the thing I don't want to confess that now I feel bad about not confessing. It's about the fact that I, I, I don't want to confess at all. So now, knowing that I need to confess, I don't want to, and I feel added shame because I don't want to do what I just heard. So it's sort of a, a never-ending cycle of ongoing shame. It's, it's doing something bad, feeling bad about it, but then sometimes feeling bad about not wanting to do anything about it. And so I want you to know that even when we don't get this right, so what it sounds like is if you want to get this right, then you need to confess and God will forgive you and heal you. If you don't, he doesn't love you and you have to leave. I'm sorry. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way either. God has a way of working through even our own resistance. So I'm not asking you right now, today, confess everything or else. I'm saying open up your hearts to the Lord. Open up your hearts to another brother or another sister. And just begin with me taking steps in the direction of all that we've learned today. So today is just one step of faith saying, God, help me to open up to you. Change me. Make me more like you.